Recording is on. Okay. There we go. <laughs> so, um, I guess you could start by introducing yourself. So, I'm Pat Richards. I am the executive director and CEO of Life After Hate. Yes. And what, what does that organization do? So, Life After Hate uh, is an organization that's committed to helping individuals who have been part of violent right-wing extremism actually exit the movement, uh, you know, disengage from their past lives, and uh, hopefully lead productive, positive lives after that. All right. And so I've, I've got a few uh, talking points here to get into because, you know, today's a big day. You know, you've got the whole January 6th thing, uh, seeking a subpoena uh, from Trump and all that kind of stuff. And later on today, um, there's the debate between Gretchen Whitmer and Tudor Dixon, which I will most likely be watching tonight. And I, I kind of want to talk about what's going on in Michigan, because specifically there's this guy named Justin Watkins, who was uh, affiliated with a group called The Base, and he was arrested in October of 2020 for stalking a rival podcaster. And he said he wanted to uh, create a white nationalist ethno state in the UP of Michigan, which is actually where I live. So I'm wondering if you know anything about that and if you could maybe provide any insight into that. Well, I, I think, I think I mean, this is, we, we, we see, see this, this more, more and more, particularly over the last five or six years. years. I think, I think yeah, there's, there's, there's no question that there's a, a lot, lot of hate in our society. society. Yes. Um, I, think I think the last few years have allowed us to be very public about it. Uh, in, in fact, people, people like what you're experiencing in the Upper Peninsula are willing to be out there publicly and talk about it, not, not just share things. I think what we've seen that, you, know, you go back to old AOL chat rooms and people used to share information, now it's much easier to do it online. But I think we're seeing more and more where people are willing to act on it. Yeah. I think the activities that we're seeing now, the ones that you mentioned, you know, just demonstrate that. This is this is no longer just trying to find like-minded folks where you can share links uh, yeah. and you know, attaboys and those sorts of things. Now we're seeing people that are taking it upon themselves to really act on this. Uh, and it's, I would say, I would say it's no longer an abstract thing. You know, it's no longer just something like, oh, wouldn't it be, you know crazy if this happened or, or something like yeah. that. No, no I, think I think you, you see, see that. that. I mean, you, you see the, 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 the threats against, against Governor Whitmer. Whitmer. I mean, we, we saw, saw that in, in 2020. You saw people, people who are now willing to take their thoughts, their ideals, their beliefs, uh, and act on them in ways that we never would have considered before. So uh, what do you say to those who are like, oh, that threat was fake and it was actually the FBI who staged the entire thing? Because... I hear that talking point quite a lot, like in any type of incidents like this, everything's the FBI, everything is Antifa somehow. And what's funny to me is that, you know, on the one hand, they dismiss Antifa as being like weak and powerless and just a total non-threat, but then they're acting like, oh, Antifa's in control of the entire world. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating question. question. I think, you know, we, like, life, life after hate, we focus mostly on, on right-wing extremism, yeah. far-right extremism. And, you know, do so because so much of the violent far-right, you're talking about actions that are attacking individuals, attacking people, threatening people. Yeah. 
and, and what, what you see for the most part, and I know there are exceptions, is Antifa is largely going after institutions and places. Uh, you know, they're yes. going after community institutions. They're not. They're not going after those individuals. But you know, it's. it's I think it's very easy now to believe that there are all of these grand conspiracies, and that you know, just as the government faked the landing on the moon, all of this is fake in order to generate whatever they're working for. Um, well, I think. I hate to interrupt, but I, yeah. I'm reminded of that Martin Gugino incident of the, uh, you know, the guy who got pushed by that cop in Buffalo, New York. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump was claiming that he's that he faked his own head injury. Yeah. And uh, that was a president of the United States saying that that's not just some weirdo in a bar or something like that. So, well, I, I think that's anybody, right. Yeah, you know, whether, 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 whether you're the president of the United States or you're the guy at the bar, yeah, uh, we, we all like to use situations and activities to benefit ourselves. Yeah, uh, and we all see it through our own lens. Um, and you know, we've, I think recent years have shown us that you don't need any fact or any proof to believe something anymore. Yeah. So um, the the base that neo Nazi group had hoped to. Install their own chief of police so they wouldn't face any law enforcement pushback, according to this article I've looked at. And what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there that, that becomes one of those pieces that we know there's, there, there becomes some truth to this. Um, you, know, you can look at the, you know, the significant numbers of people that, uh, that will say that there are members of the violent far right who are part of law enforcement. You know, we, we can, can look at even those individuals who come to life after hate, where they want to exit the movement. That this is, you know, they, they joined the violent far right when they were active members of the military. Uh, yeah. That's where they learned a lot of this. So, you know, it, it's one of the, I think we, we all know that, you know, if you want to control something, you, you go to those positions of power. And so it makes perfect sense that if you're looking to lead an uprising, you go after the police. And that's, that's how third world dictatorships get started, is the military and the police overthrow. And I think a lot of prisons are huge factors in, you know, radicalizing people in this way, because I've often heard it said that if you are put in a prison, you pretty much have to join a gang. That's what I've, that's the impression that I've been given. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's, it's, it's one of those, it's, it's an interesting thing. thing. When I look, look at those, those that we counsel, counsel. Um, you know, you, you have, have a lot, lot of individuals who have, have, have been incarcerated for, for violent hate crimes. Um, and, you know, if you think about it, how, how in the world do you disengage? How do you de-radicalize while you are in prison? Yeah. Uh, if anything, if anything, it further feeds those beliefs because you're talking about a system, uh, as you mentioned, with gangs and with different, different fronts that you're having to address. Um, I don't know. I think there are always going to be some that if they're in prison for those nonviolent crimes, they have to join the gang for survival. Absolutely. Um, but uh, you know, the simple fact is, at least you know, in our prison systems, there is no desire to disengage and de-radicalize individuals. There's no desire to um, rehabilitate those individuals and change the way of thinking. Uh, that's the work that comes after they leave prison because you're not going to find it in jail. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've heard that about ISIS too. And, uh, of, of course, you know, I'm going to continue with this uh, whole thing about the UP. Um, so I've personally peeled some Patriot Front stickers 
off of a lamppost near the Portage Lake lift bridge, which I live right next to. So I, th- I think that kind of makes it clear that this kind of stuff is closer than a lot of people might think, you know, these re- recruitment efforts and all that stuff. And there was a, in 2018, there was a synagogue that was also vandalized in, in my town. So they were, they were really uh, putting a lot of effort into this area for some reason, because they, you know, that there isn't a huge non, non-white population in here. So I think that's kind of got a built-in appeal to some of these groups. And um, I, I, to be fair, there isn't that that much of any population around here. I mean, to be clear about that. Well, I think, I think I mean, when, when you, live, you live in a part of the country that obviously has seen a growing number of Muslims uh, that have settled in those areas. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, funny. You, you and I could have had this conversation a decade ago when you talk about hate groups. Hate groups hate it. Uh, and, and, we assume, and for the most part, we assume hate groups were hating, uh, you know, it was white versus black. Yeah. You know, now there is a flavor of hate for just about anybody. Oh, that's uh, true. Yeah. You, you can hate, hate them for being black, you can hate them for being Latino, you can hate them for being immigrant, you can hate them for being undocumented, you can hate them for being gay, you can hate them for being Islamist. I mean, you, you just run the, you can hate them for being women. You yeah. can run the list. There's, there's, there's something for everybody now. Well, on, on that note, worrisome. it's easier to recruit. On that note, I was when I was talking to Scott Ernest, who you probably know, who I talked with on this podcast, um, I noted how in way back in the day there were attempts to deport Finnish Americans, and I'm a Finnish American, and uh, they even in Minnesota tried to get them deported under the Chinese Exclusion Act, <laughs> you know, trying to claim that they were Chinese, and. I've thought about that over the years, and I think part of that is because some Finnish people actually have the epicanthic folds that are, you know, common with with Asians. And I can even speak from experience. One of my cousins, he, he just looks Asian, like especially when he, he dyed his hair once and he, you know, like people noted that. And sure enough, it was true. So... It is definitely the case that you can hate anybody uh, for any number of reasons in history. And um, let's see, I've got another. I've, I want to talk about too this uh, this Luke Austin Lane person from uh, I believe Georgia. I, I don't know if you're familiar. I don't know how familiar you are with this case, but he was doing some paramilitary training down there and they were going to kill like a family that they considered Antifa. Like they would, they even got high on acid, I guess. And they Mm -hmm. sacrificed an animal (laughs) and it it was just like, you know, it was the kind of stuff that uh, parents in the 1980s were accusing black Sabbath fans of doing. And uh, I'm wondering what your thoughts on that might be because that seems pretty extreme. It is. It is. It is. And I, I think, think that, that, that case is a very interesting one because you can look at what their goal was and, and how they got there and the animal sacrifice and all of that just seems strange. Yeah. But you can also look at how well organized they were. You can look at how well trained they were. I, I have heard law enforcement say that that organization, their um, arms training, 
was essentially on par with what you would have gotten in the military or law enforcement. Hmm. It was that good. Yeah. Um, incredibly well armed, incredibly well outfitted. You know, they, they, they would drill. Um, and I think that, that's the sort of thing you're, you're seeing. And their ability to be so secretive in terms of, you know, it's, it's not just something where on a Saturday night you could show up somewhere and join their group. I mean, multiple layers of security before you were ever going to be invited anywhere close to the inner circle. But I think what it does is it shows us how, as these groups continue to evolve, you know, you see the actions of an individual, you see the actions of a group, and then the next group has to take it a step further, has to take it a step further. Yeah, you, you always, always have to show you're able to do more than the guy before you. Uh, and I think that's really what was scary. But when you, when you really look at the preparation that they put into it, the advanced scouting they went into it, you know, I think that we are fortunate that most of the gentlemen who were part of that had never actually killed anybody before. Yeah. And so it was, you know, they didn't have that skill set, but all of the preparation was there. And thank goodness you had an FBI agent who was embedded undercover. Uh, that, that was, was able, able to, to dismantle, dismantle that whole thing. And that's that's one of the, uh, I mean, that, that kind of gets back into the FBI thing. I think there's sort of a built-in cover for these groups. That if anybody ever infiltrates them, whether it's the FBI or somebody else, they can always blame that person as being the, uh, you know, the provoc- provocateur. Absolutely. I, 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 I can't even imagine how challenging it would be. I mean, we can go back, you know, 20, 30 years when the FBI used to have to infiltrate the mob yeah. and the mafia. And those were challenging times. I mean, going in now and trying to infiltrate these groups uh, and being able to be accepted to a level where you're, gonna, you're not just the guy who's going to be waiting for a call, but you're, you're there for planning is, I can't even believe how, how difficult that must be. To be yeah. part of that, because it's, it's you're, you're right, right though. It's very, and they, they have to know exactly what they can and can't do, because they don't want to be accused of being the ones that you know, sort of push them into the act. That you know they wouldn't have they wouldn't have planned this attack if it weren't for that undercover agent. Yeah, uh, I think the FBI, I know, is very well trained. They prepare their agents. You know, those who go out in the field to do this are incredibly well trained. They know what's permissible. They know what's not. But you know, even the very basics. I mean. Any, Any of us, us, if we're on the, the job, job, you can't, can't drink, drink, right? Unless, unless you're maybe a bartender. bartender. Yeah. Um, I mean, how do you how do you go undercover and infiltrate these groups if you're not going to drink? How do you find that balance where you're still have your wits, but you got to be part of them? Um, it's, it, I also I mean, the infiltration stuff. It, it becomes funny. I mean, you you see individuals who want to get their cred, you know, they whether they're uh, you know, trying to join other social media groups because they've been kicked off of other things, or trying to join these these individual organizations. You're trying to get on the Gab, for instance, and have yourself accepted. The easiest way to do it is you show that you've been kicked off of Twitter, you've been kicked off of Facebook because of the things you've said, the things you've done, and that starts buying you some of that same credibility that everybody wants. Yeah. So that's. I, I mean, the, the FBI, they do have like a, a bit of a checkered past, of course, because they were tracking Martin Luther King and stuff like that. I even heard that they were tracking Aretha Franklin for some reason. So, you know, I mean, th- that's one of the awkward things about these discussions, because it's going to sound like to some people that I'm simping for the FBI or something like that. And of, of course, that doesn't need to be the case. It's really in some ways just doing what, you know, turning to whatever resources we have to stop these groups. 
right? I think we, we've seen a massive explosion in these sorts of groups in large part because of the massive explosion on the internet. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, first of all, law enforcement can't be everywhere. Um, but I think I, I would say we're better off you know, if they're able to, to focus some of their resources on infiltrating these groups to make sure that some of these things don't happen. I mean, we all as a nation, we worry when these activities happen. Uh, we don't even want to think about how many things have not occurred because the FBI gained information. Somebody said something that a loved one was up to. They had undercovers involved. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, would, I would bet we would all be startled to hear the things that didn't happen because somebody was there. That's true. Yeah. So, um, let's see. Do I have? I don't know if I really have that much more to ask you. So, I guess if you want to just uh, say, you know, uh, more about what your group is up to, yeah. and you know, a, any recent news that is of interest. No, yeah, I appreciate it. it. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's the, the work, work that our group. We've been doing, doing this for eleven years. years. Uh, and Life After Hate was actually founded by former members of the violent far right uh, who decided they needed to get out. And they originally, it was peer-to-peer counseling. You know, somebody who's literally walked in their Doc Martens, they can help somebody who wants to leave. Uh, and over the years, over the last decade or so, it's really evolved. We're now, I mean, we, we have to provide trained medical professionals. We have to provide psychologists, social workers, as well as those peer mentors. Uh, to help those who want to exit the life. Uh, because what you, know, you often see, whether it's the individual or it's a family member, they realize that uh, the behaviors just can't continue. And so for a lot of people, it's because they've hit rock bottom. They've just got out of prison. Their wife is threatening to leave them with the kids. They can't find a job. And they need, they need to make some sort of a change. For others, it's that recognition that all of the things that they base their life on, all of that hate is unfounded. Yeah. Uh, where all of a sudden you, know, you realize that you don't know a single person of color who's been stealing government benefits from you. You don't know a single undocumented immigrant who's taken a job from a family member. Yeah. All of those things you thought you believed, you start questioning. And you know that's that's the work that we do. Is, you know, we work. We do a lot of work one on one, helping individuals sort through that, sort through their past opinions, understanding where they want to go and what they want to do. And helping them with that. So for a lot of it, it's therapy. Sometimes it's helping them find a place to live with a landlord who's not going to discriminate against them. Sometimes it's helping them with tattoo removal. Yeah. Everything and anything. And uh, you know, as we look ahead you know, to, to 2023, we just released an online course for members of law enforcement so they can begin to better understand what the violent far right is. Yeah. Uh, now making available for free. We're going to be doing a lot of work with family and loved ones so that they can begin to have those conversations. I think as you've been talking about this whole podcast, it becomes very easy to see somebody who preaches these beliefs and want to convince them how wrong they are. Um, If you believe it, again, whether you're the president of the United States or whether you're just getting out of prison, uh, if it is something you believe, simply being told you're wrong is never going to change your mind. Yeah. So a lot of what we're going to be doing next year is helping those families, helping those loved ones have those discussions, not condemning, but trying to force some understanding, trying to really get under the hood and and see why someone thinks what they think, believing that that's that's going to help us increase the ability to to, to de-radicalize and disengage. Yes, some of this... 
stuff reminds me of that Voltaire quote that if you're able to believe in absurdities, you're able to commit atrocities. That That is sort of a major angle to all this stuff is p- people believing things that simply could not be true. And uh, I think it creates sort of havoc in people's brains and they become even more likely to lash out because somewhere I think deeply buried in their consciousness is a, an awareness that their own beliefs are failing. I mean, I, it's one of those things I'd have a hard time proving, but I, it's sort of my theory, my pet theory on a lot of this stuff. Well, it's, it's also recognizing that we work with those who have taken action. You know, we work with those who have, uh, perform hate crimes, you know, yeah. part of the violent far right. And, you know, it's, it's recognizing that, you know, not everybody who watches Fox News, not everybody who's, you know, going to read QAnon websites and share, share links to friends and family, most of those people never act on it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's it, we all are going to have our beliefs. Some of them are going to be shaped by reality. Some of them are going to be shaped by experiences. Some of them are just going to be shaped by what we think might be true because we've never experienced it. And, you know, for us, it's, it's understanding the important work is, is really intervening with those who are trying to take action. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of really us simple beliefs that are uh, pretty common, you know, among the, the right wingers are sort of like a pathway into some of this. Like, I don't know how many times I've, I've had them tell me that, you know, all liberals and leftists are lazy you know, even though I've I've been working class my whole life, or my whole adult life, and uh, most liberals and leftists I know actually have jobs and are consistently gainfully employed. You know, I mean, how, how do you debunk these these claims when they're so easily debunkable yet people believe them so readily? I, I think that, that, that is a challenge. That's what we're going to work with family and friends. Because if you try to strongly debunk it, all you can do is force people further down the rabbit holes. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's the same. I mean, we all like to have this image that if you're a member of the violent far right, you know, you're wearing Doc Martin boots, you've got a shaved head, you know, you look up the part. Yeah. Like, you know, the movies. And, uh, you know, now we know. I mean, you're just as likely to be wearing a suit and tie to work as you are to be wearing, wearing boots. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we make those assumptions and realize that uh, as you look at some of these actions, you see how these, these violent far-right groups are organized. Uh, you know, you realize there are, there are people who wear suits and ties to work every day that help raise money for it, that help recruit new members, uh, that do all sorts of things. This is not uh, just gangs of folks with shaved heads stomping, stomping people in the streets of uh, major cities anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, I guess that's really all I have to talk about here for now and i'd like to thank you for uh being a guest on this little podcast i can't really say it's like a huge podcast or anything like that we i get more like tens of views than hundreds or thousands or millions but you know i'm working on it it's a work in progress (laughs) i I appreciate appreciate the opportunity opportunity and uh, hope we can talk again soon all right well uh thanks have a good one you too too, Bye. bye